What's your opinion about the decision that the um, RCMP have made determining that I had used the terms when I filed my complaint that there was concerns over the books being pornographic, sexually explicit and graphic. And, and so they chose to focus on only pornographic and come back with a decision to say it wasn't. Right. What I'd say is simply this, and to the head of the RCMP, I would say, first of all, you got to be kidding me. Secondly, you have sex offenders under your, that you arrest that are uh, in the prison system right now. And when a sex offender comes out, what do you look for? What do you watch? Okay. What are you concerned about if he has something in his possession? You cannot tell me, as the uh, head of the RCMP, that if a man has one of these books, that you wouldn't be concerned. What I say is this. I know in the U.S., what there's a, there's a criminal statute. It's called, uh, or a crime called corruption of minors. There has to be the equivalent in Canada, whatever that's called. If somebody's reading these books, this is not the corruption of minors. Uh, I'll go one step further. Let's say I, as a therapist, excuse me, as uh, as a therapist, have in my office. Now, this is going to be this is mild compared to what's in some of these books. I I'm a teacher. I'm a therapist. I'm a mandated reporter. And you have a young person. Let's say grade seven, seventh grader, middle schooler, junior high. So he brings this little picture out. I can't quite see it yet. It's folded up, crumpled up. It was in his pocket. And I said, oh, what, what's that? Well, this is what we did uh, this past weekend. I said, oh, you and Uncle Jim, yeah. Uh, what is it? Oh, well, we do it all the time. Oh, you do what's in that picture that I can't see? Oh, okay. Um, and what it, well, we do it funny. He said, it's our little secret. It's just us. Oh, can I see it? And so what the young person shows me is, that's Uncle Jim. And I say, that's your uncle. Well, he's not really not uh, my uncle. He's just a friend of the family. Oh, what was happening? Where were you guys? Well, uh, he babysits us. Well, he babysits you. What do you do? Well, we dress up for these. Oh, okay. I can see he really dresses up. Yeah, but he he helps me. We have private time. He does. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, A, is there any concern, Mr. RCMP? B, what do we call this? C, does this lie? Does this rise to the level of a mandated report? Yet this is, isn't even yeah. in what's in those books. So, yeah. For those of you in the public, I would simply ask this: Let's pretend. Let's pretend these were not artists. Let's pretend one of these men, these are men, by the way, are actually a sexual predator. Would they pose any differently? Would they take off any more clothes than they have? Oh, I'm sorry, these men don't have clothes on. Mm. Is this not the working definition of corruption of minors? Mm -hmm. And you're photographing these kids. So I just simply ask you, Mr. RCMP, if that's what's mild, doesn't talk about what these men have done. If that doesn't rise to the level of concern, what does? So I am very pleased to introduce him to you tonight. John has over 30 years of experience dealing with thousands of sex predators, and his list of accomplishments is impressive. He holds a master's 
of science degree. He is a licensed professional counselor, a certified clinical trauma professional, as well as a certified sex offender treatment provider. John's extensive clinical practice makes him exceptionally qualified as he educates people on how white-collar sex psychopaths present themselves to others. He is an authority on educating others on how to recognize sex predators, how to spot red flags, as well as personality profiling and threat analysis. We are so pleased that John Euler was able to join us earlier today to pre-record this segment of the Empower Hour. So I invite you to sit back and get comfortable as we join Tanya and John Euler. Well, welcome, John. It's just so good to uh, to have you here. Thank you, um, Heather, for providing uh, some information on John. As we said in the email that went out, this is a highly accomplished uh, person. We're just so honored to have you on the show, John. I'm wow. excited to get to some solutions near the end, but I think at first we really need to understand uh, predatory behavior, what we're dealing with, how this, well, basically an international group network has unleashed upon the world in this t attack against our children. And I've said previously that it's been reasonably pointed out that the encouragement and facilitation of sex of underage minors, the sexualization of children and making pornographic books and materials available to them is a form of grooming seen in cases of pedophilia. And so I'm looking forward to uh, really hearing the research and what you have to uh, provide for us today as far as information uh, you, you like you say you have 30 years of experience in this field of dealing with predators uh, sexual predators uh, the effects on the victims and children and uh, it, I think, as I said, it's just really important to understand all of who, I guess we could almost call it at this point, who our enemy is, and uh, so that we can very courageously uh, move forward and deal with this in whatever manner. So I'm going to hand the floor over to you. I understand that you have a presentation that we're going to start with, and then we'll have some conversation. Oh, Tanya, again, a pleasure to be with you. Um, I so appreciate your efforts uh, on behalf of people around the world, but especially in your country, my country, everywhere that this could be heard. Um, and as a parent, I'm a parent, my kids are grown. This affects every one of us, but especially those that have younger kids. The, the push to sexualize their kids is full speed now, and people really need to understand what is going on behind the scenes? And Tanya, that's why you're having me on. I will uh, qualify one thing that I have been doing therapy for about 30 years, but I have been working with uh, men who have offended sexually for about 14 years. I spent 11 years, 11 plus years on the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections on the psychology staff as well as doing sex offender treatment while in that institution or serving in multiple institutions. I'm now a certified sex offender treatment provider, and I'm also a trauma professional, a certified trauma or a clinical trauma professional. Why does that matter? Because it really pertains when it comes to what I call the trans deception or the trans movement. And at the outset, I want to reference a resource that as I'm continuing, and as I conclude today, 
since a big part of this focus will be the means by which children are being groomed. One of the primary means is now through the trans movement. So I want to uh, recommend a resource. It's a new site that I have developed called Unmasking the Trans Movement. Dot com. That's really what has to take place now. We need to unmask the trans movement. So unmaskingthetransmovement.com. You will get, uh, there's a lot of different episodes now. We have subject matter experts, and this is an important resource for parents and other good people that want to learn the truth about what this entire movement is. I call it the world's greatest scam scheme and predator opportunity or predatory opportunity for those that would uh, seek to use young people, vulnerable young people, for profit and prey. The important thing to uh, understand about those that would seek to sexually uh, access our kids is that for those that are the most sophisticated, they tend to be the most difficult to spot. We would think that's sort of a, a kind of a, the opposite. We're all trained in stranger danger, but stranger danger and the ones that drive around in vans around parks that look creepy and wear trench coats, those represent a small minority really of uh, who offend kids, who will upon kids. It's actually those that look very normal. Matter of fact, uh, sophisticated predators will seek out venues, they'll seek out places of employment where they end up becoming mandated reporters. And a mandated reporter, my guess is it's very similar in Canada, probably throughout the world, is if you have any regular and meaningful contact with kids, it's even uh, pertaining to those dealing with churches or other faith-based organizations, uh, synagogues, mosques. If you have regular contact with kids, you are a mandated reporter. What that means is, by law, you have no choice, but you need to report. And each uh, nation, each state will tend to have, each province will tend to have its own uh, phone line that you can call. And you are required to uh, make a report if you suspect that a child is being abused or exploited. And that's very important because kids will uh, not often or rarely will kids come forward and say, I'm being abused. There's going to be indications. There's what I call nine red flag key clinical indicators of uh, children that are being abused. And it's important that each mandated reporter, by the way, most mandated reporters, especially in occupations such as everything from clinical work, as far as psychology, to the medical field, to education. Certainly every teacher is a mandated reporter. I've mentioned clergy now. Most countries are requiring clergy to be mandated reporters. Uh, there's probably uh, many more fields, athletics. If you work with kids in a voluntary capacity, you are also a mandated reporter. So you need to be able to spot 
the indicators that a child is being abused or exploited. That means being groomed and then manipulated in some fashion. Mandated reporter training happens either on an annual or every other year basis, a biannual basis, and it covers the various kinds of abuse. You have physical abuse, you have emotional abuse, you have mental, uh, you can have neglect, but also you have sexual abuse. And a child that's being sexually abused is not going to come right out and say they're being sexually abused. Some will, but a very small minority. You're going to have to be mindful of the warning signs. And my concerns about the trans movement and those pushing the trans movement is that within the entire umbrella, let's say within the entire realm of what we're being told is the trans movement, is a concerted effort, been unfortunately very successful, a concerted effort to reframe in people's minds the warning signs of sexual abuse are being trained to, really brainwashed, to not see those as warning signs of abuse, but to see those as issues pertaining to, pertaining to gender identity. So that if a young person, let's say a girl comes into my office, let's say she's in middle school, junior high, let's say she's in grade seven or eight. She sits down and she says, I don't want to be a girl. I wish I was a boy. Now, it used to be in the field of psychology or counseling or mental health that that would automatically be a red flag. Because most people that are properly trained know that any person, young or older, let's say even a female that's been raped, the first thing that happens is an attempt to process the trauma very first thing that happens to an adult rape victim is what? After the incident, she wants to come home and take a shower to try to clean herself from that whole experience. It's a very difficult thing and a very common thing to accept or to absorb or to assume responsibility for that act. That's, that's what needs to be worked through in therapy, to realize it was not your fault. Well, think about how difficult that is for an adult let alone for a child. So in a child's uh, state of cognitive development, emotional development, they will conclude that if they weren't their sex or gender, uh, there's a big deal to uh, separate out the, those terms, but I, you know, I'm really not that concerned. There's boys and there's girls, men and women, XX and XY chromosome. By the way, there's no such thing as trans. Now, We've lost half our audience, or we've gained half our audience. Okay, let me let me clarify that. There's no such thing as trans. That term did not come about prior to the year 2005. Since I've been doing therapy uh, for about 30 years, as a matter of fact, there's three different populations I've worked with extensively. One is sexual abuse survivors, kids in the system, and then predators, well, the full range of criminals, but especially sex offenders. So I understand both ends of the continuum. The reason I say there is no such thing as trans, it doesn't matter how many times somebody repeats a lie, a myth, it doesn't make it so, but there's a tendency for us as people, if I hear a term repeated time and time again by people that supposedly know better, 
then I begin to assume it must be true. But it's like the emperor had no, no clothes. That little uh, story, I think it's out of Aesop's fable, that you know this, this fast-talking tailor is hired by the king to create new clothing. And this, uh, really, this manipulator tells the king that he's created new clothes, and uh, you know the, the tailor who's saving money on on cl- uh, thread announces to the king as the king is disrobed, as as this tailor puts on this fake outfit on this king, he persuades the king that this is such fine clothing that I know it seems like you have nothing on, but trust me. You are fully clothed. And so now the king, the king goes uh, parading through the, the city you know, amongst his subjects. He's nude. He, he's naked. But he, he believes he's fully clad. Well, nobody wants to disturb this delusion. And so everybody goes along with it. So he's, the king is, is parading through the streets. Uh, you know, as they were sky clad in his uh, birthday suit, and there is a child who hasn't bought the myth. And so this little lone voice comes out of the crowd, the crowd of hundreds and thousands who are saying, King, you look wonderful. So we have this, we have this group collective delusion going on that the king has clothes on, and this young child says what? Mommy, why does the king, why is the king naked? That one piece of truth had a ripple effect, and it was very uncomfortable. What I say to you is, the king has no clothes on. There's no such thing as trans. Now, what is there? There are boys and girls, men and women, but especially boys and girls, who have become confused. So there are people, there's no such thing as trans, there are people, people that are emotionally wounded, that are confused, especially young people, minors. That's my greatest concern, quite frankly. And they are ripe to be influenced, what I say is unduly influenced. And when we talk about groomed and grooming, really that word, it's a very technical word. I use it in my forensic work, so it's an actual technical term, sexual grooming. But the idea of grooming is simply this, that you are getting over on someone. You're manipulating them. We used to call it brainwashing. Some people have a hard time with that. So we can say that they are being mentally and emotionally manipulated to believe something that is not true. The greatest way to manipulate someone is to cause them to dumb down and eventually ignore and violate their own intuition. We have two mechanisms within us that are designed to maintain boundaries. Boundaries separate issues of things that are important. We have property lines that separates my house from yours. And we know where that line is because people mow the lawn. If you don't have a fence, people mow the lawn right up to that point. So you know where your property ends and somebody else begins. But boundaries separate things of importance. We've heard the term boundaries when it comes to uh, mental health or psychology because it's referencing that people are important. But if I begin to care more about myself than you, 
then you can become a means to an end for me. I can begin the process of objectifying you. Now, I can do that financially. If you step onto a car lot, trust me, you're being financially objectified. If I want your wallet, so I, I will financially objectify you. If I want your body, I will sexually objectify you. Oftentimes, there's multiple ways in which people objectify others. So the moment I begin to think less of you than me, then I will begin to rationalize and justify. I have the right to you and your things and your time, effort, energy, resources, including your body and your body parts, if I'm a greedy surgeon. That means I'm beginning the process of violating my conscience, and that's really what eventually we will be talking about. I'm certified in the Hair Psychopathy Checklist, Robert Hare out of the University of British Columbia, created what's called the PCLR, the Hair Psychopathy Checklist. That is the gold standard of forensic assessments for psychopaths. I'm certified in that. The Pennsylvania Department of Corrections flew Dr. Robert Hare out, so I'm I'm qualified to give those kinds of assessments. So we will look at what is psychopathy. There's two different kinds, the kind that comes to all of our minds. Those are the horror movies, the bloody psychopath. But then there's another category, and Robert Hare coined this phrase. It's called a white-collar psychopath. Now, what's the difference? Well, in a way, body counts. That may sound crass, and I don't mean to um, offend anybody's sensibilities, but when you're dealing with criminals and criminal mind, right? So we understand the idea of body count. We understand a bloody psychopath. What I say about the bloody psychopath is certainly they are impulsive. They can be calculating, but they act on impulse, and they're one victim is too many. But what I would say is this a bloody psychopath, think about a serial murderer. He probably will have tens, maybe 10 or more. Rare is the time that you're going to get beyond 100, and that sounds strange to say that. Uh, one victim is too many. But if you think about the worst kind of serial rapists and murderers, they may have 10, 20, some have more, but rare will be the time you're going to hear that they have more than 100. That's very, very rare, and it tends to be males, quite frankly. But when it comes to white-collar psychopaths, they will bleed people dry and emotionally. They do bloodless soul murder. And how many victims can they have? Well, Robert Hare used an example in our training. He used the example of Bernie Madoff, who was head of the NASDAQ in the States, and Bernie Madoff made off with everybody's money. How many victims did Bernie Madoff have? I don't even know, right? Thousands of people were harmed by that. Where do we find psychopaths? We certainly find them in prison. That's where you study them. We find the bloody psychopaths in prison once they're caught. But where do we find white-collar psychopaths? You find them in politics. You find them in finance. You find them in psychology. You find them in education, you find them in law enforcement, you find them in sports, you find them everywhere. And those are the ones that by the time they are busted, by the time they are found out, and I'll add one ad additional descriptive term, which is the sophisticated psychopaths. 
these are the ones that by the time they are arrested, you watch the people around them be interviewed. And what is the description? Because if the news crew goes out to the impulsive psychopath, let's say offended kids, and the news crew asks the neighbors on either side of the property, what about Mr. Smith? Um, does it surprise you? And what you'll tend to hear is, no, that guy was creepy. We told the kids to stay away. And that doesn't surprise us. He was kind of a loner. And he... So most people can spot the creepy kind. But how about the re reaction where you hear people that knew the perpetrator and the response is, oh, I can't believe, not him. No, no, there's got, it just doesn't seem possible. Now, how do you describe that? What that means is you have somebody that does not fit the typical mold of a psychopath. He's not impulsive. He's not antisocial. Those are some of the key characteristics. He stayed within the bounds of the law. As a matter of fact, they tend to find themselves, they tend to work their way up into the organizational uh, chain of command, the structure, or the agency, or the business. You find a lot of them in, as CEOs, quite frankly. Now, I'm not saying that every CEO is a financial, uh, I'm sorry, is a sexual psychopath. But unfortunately, in this day and age, the higher you go, the more you will have a tendency to, instead of loving people and using things, you will have people that use, that love things and use people. It really always comes down to conscience. So a white-collar psychopath, and this is the key to all psychopaths, by the way, it comes down to conscience. They have violated their conscience to where it no longer bothers them to do what? To cross the boundaries of someone, to take advantage of someone. The process of doing that, of working someone, is grooming. The other two elements of psychopathy are this. If you don't have a conscience, then you can do anything you want to someone. The smarter you are, the less you're going to make it possible that they figure it out because then the gig's up, game's over. The way to understand psychopathy really is to understand the issue of conscience, that if you violate your conscience long enough, you will. Therefore, two things will happen to you, and this sets the stage for what's happening in schools. If you violate your conscience long enough, you will. You will turn the volume down from a scale of 10 to 1, 10 being really sensitive, let's say, a loud conscience, conscience that can put out full um, volume, as it were, make you uh, not able to sleep at night and bother you until you make things right. You don't respond to your conscience properly. It becomes easier to ignore it. And little by little, a lot of things happen. And eventually, you can get to a point where you have no conscience. Well, those of us with a conscience would think that would be a horrible thing, and I agree. But there is a degree of freedom that a psychopath experiences. We say, how can that person sleep at night? Well, the more somebody enters into the realm of psychopathy, quite frankly, they sleep really well. That's the tricky thing. Because we look at someone that seems to be 100% confident, 100% comfortable, 100% sincere, and we project onto them, those of us that have a conscience, we project onto them 
what we ourselves would feel like and be like if we were able to look someone straight in the eye and say something with a look of sincerity. By the way, dealing with psychopaths, we call that impression management. For instance, have you ever known anybody, and this is dating back a little bit in history, in U.S. history, where it says, I don't know, I did not have sex with that woman, and by golly, I am not going to be deterred by these right-wing conspiracies. I've, I'm going to be about the business of what the American people voted me in for, and that darn Hillary, you know, picking to go do whatever Hillary and Al Gore. Okay, now who am I imitating? I'm imitating Bill Clinton. He looked the American people right in the eye, and what did he do? He said, I did not have sex with that woman. And then he proceeded to do what? Once he was finally busted, he started the classic psychopathic chess game of parsing things. And then he said, well, it depends upon what the definition, definition of is, is. Okay. The more sophisticated a psychopath is, the more normal he looks. That's why we vote them into office. That's why they win our confidence. They're called con men. And we believe them. And then we're shocked when they actually seem to do the opposite. But is it that they're doing the opposite, or are they acting true to their own nature? So it comes down to conscience to understand psychopathy, and then we will then set the stage for understanding what's happening in, in schools, the sexualization of kids. Violate your conscience long enough, and you will. Two things will then happen. Because as you violate your conscience, your conscience is bothering you because what? Because somehow, in one way or another, you are using somebody else. That's why your conscience is bothering you. If you don't respond properly, it becomes easier and easier to manipulate and use and abuse someone. You're using, you are objectifying them. What will happen is this. Eventually, you won't feel badly about it, so remorse goes away. But if you have no conscience, you eventually have no remorse, you don't feel badly about it. And you're not sorry about the impact it has on somebody, therefore empathy. So a psychopath by nature, prior to the layering on of whatever the psychopath is into, financial psychopath, sexual psychopath, three key things are taking place. Violation of conscience and therefore empathy and remorse are going away. By the time somebody becomes a very profound psychopath, they've morphed through various stages. They've gone from being a normal person. Now, do genetics, nature, nurture, do those play a role? Yeah, they can play a role. But if it was all genetics, then what would happen? You'd have uh, two identical twins. If one was a psychopath, the other should be a psychopath. It doesn't happen. Why isn't it passed along the family uh, tree? Because it really comes down to conscience. If you violate your conscience, you will be able to do anything to anybody, and you will feel just fine about it. And my premise is this. Predators know us better than we know them. And they know that the average person wants to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And they use our ethics against us. So they can then play act. They can say huge whopping lies to cause us to back off. 
Because we wouldn't want somebody to accuse us of something. We wouldn't want someone to question our motives. So we tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, that's all a predator needs. That's all a manipulator needs. That's all a sociopath, psychopath, cult leader. That's all they need. So if you catch a psychopath in the act, they're never going to admit until you have so much evidence, and they still won't admit. They're, they're going to they're gonna do the fancy uh, two-step. The most they'll say is, well, I know, well, I'm sorry if it, if, if it hurt you, or I'm sorry that it appeared that way, or I'm sorry that, it, you know, after all, I was having a bad day, or I'm sorry that it's not, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. You'll never hear that out of a psychopath. They'll never put a period, and there, there will never be genuine brokenness and contrition. If there was, they would step aside from office, wouldn't they? Somebody who's broken and contrite will accept the consequences. It's not, you know what? I'm so sorry I did it, and I'm going to double my efforts, redouble my efforts to really make good on the trust that the citizens placed in me when they voted me into office. But it's such a classic psychopathic move. When a man gets into sexual psychopathy, and again, it's sexuality layered upon psychopathy, there's going to be certain things that are very characteristic that happen. Because in my estimation, the best way to understand psychopathy is to understand a continuum, a continuum of really 1 to 10, but minus 1 to minus 10. And I'll bring up a chart in a moment to kind of show you this. But picture somebody on the straight and narrow. He gets off the straight and narrow, and he starts going downhill because he's violating his conscience. You go downhill long enough and you will violate your conscience and you'll actually be free of a conscience and you'll be okay with that. As a matter of fact, you'll never have the desire to be any other way than more of what you are because you will also start to have a disdain for the good. The good will actually be repulsive to you the further you go down. That is why a psychopath ultimately is driven to have a negative impact, to mar and scar and soil the soul of the people they're interacting with. They find enjoyment, a psychopath does, in knowing they've had a significant negative impact upon their victims. It becomes entertainment to them. It's game theory. Sociopath, by the way, Really, the best way to understand that is professional sales. But they will stop when the cost outweighs the benefit. They'll move on. For a psychopath, it's a little bit different. They've morphed so far into the realm of selfishness that it's not the thing that motivates them is not the benefit as far as the tangible benefit. It is knowing that they have not just had power and control over somebody, but have been able to have a negative effect. And when a psychopath goes to war, it's because somebody has had the temerity, somebody dared try to stop them, put boundaries up. Then it's game on. The, associ the sociopath will never say it's game on. Psychopath will.
psychopath burning, burning all to the ground for the satisfaction of knowing that they had the last word, last say, last laugh. Sociopath doesn't understand that. It all starts with narcissism. By the way, narcissism is the black hole. And the emotional black hole that stems from ego that grows. Heard of the dark triad? Some of you have. It's really redundant. It sounds great, but it's uh, it's not really accurate because it says that the dark um, characteristics, if you have this combination, you have a very dangerous person. And it first says narcissism combined with um, psychopathy. Well, what I would say is you can't have a psychopath that's not a narcissist. What is narcissism? It's just really big ego. And we say, well, there's something wrong with that person. Well, of course, there's something wrong with it, but whacked out. But there's nothing wrong with their self-esteem. You have to feel pretty good about yourself to be able to look at the camera knowing you're going to rip these people off and you're going to say, hey, come to my car dealership. Have we got a deal for you? Or vote me into office and I care about you, but meanwhile, I'm going to raise your taxes and I'm going to shut you indoors and I'm going to unduly influence your kids in such a way that your kids are eventually going to not want anything to do with you and will actually have the right to have you thrown in jail if you don't allow them to have their sex organs chopped off and become a part of the cult. Now, I didn't say that to you up front, did I? What I said is, I'm all about family values, and you voted me into office. And then I think you betrayed me, or you think I betrayed you. No, I just didn't provide full disclosure, did I? And if you try to provide full disclosure now about me or about what I'm up to, I will say it's hate speech. So, for instance, if you try to suggest that a young person might want to rethink a decision so they don't go over Niagara Falls, but rethink a decision so that they don't have their breasts sliced off by a greedy physician, under the guise of this will help your self-esteem, white-collar psychopaths have come along and done what? They've coined a term. They call it conversion therapy. Well, it sounds like, you're right, a therapist shouldn't convert anyone. And I agree. I don't know any decent therapist who wants to convert anybody. Where are we converting somebody to? Trust me, most therapists have enough of a challenge just living their own lives. Therapy is really all about values clarification, helping someone figure out what do they want for their life and how best to move forward to obtain that. But it's also helping someone think through the pros and cons. Because a lot of people are driven by happiness. Well, if that is your goal, you're going to be a very unhappy person. Why? Because happiness comes from the word happenstance, which comes from the word circumstances. So if I have a client in front of me that says I'm not happy, if, not, if I'm not an insightful therapist, I'm going to try to figure out, well, how can we help that client be happy? How about how can I help that client be whole? Maybe there's some deep pain within them that's preventing them from ever really being happy as it were, in the long run. So they go from one experience, one mood-altering experience to the next, 
I go from a relationship to an activity to a substance in order to what? Be happy. So they're chasing happiness when in fact they may need deep wounds healed. So if I facilitate the idea that, well, we want you to be happy, what would make you happy? Oh, so entering into a community, entering into a a movement that says the way for happiness is to sterilize yourself and then have all your sex organs amputated, that would make you happy? Oh, no, no, that's not what's told to kids, is it? That would be full disclosure, wouldn't it? In order to make informed consent, you have to do what? You have to provide all the information necessary. That's why when we see a drug commercial, after the commercial, we see the fine print come up on the screen. And what's the fine print show? Every disease under the sun that you might end up, or illness, <laughs> the negative side effects, sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. So if I'm withholding information from someone, if I'm not providing all the information necessary, can they truly make an informed decision? And if I know they can't really appreciate the long-term implications and repercussions and ramifications of what I'm suggesting or what and what they are doing, let's put it that way, what they are, the, the path they're setting out on. Like if someone is ha having a leisurely day, if they say, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm going to go jump in Niagara River three miles upstream, and I plan on taking a nap on my little raft. And they're going to fall asleep. What should I suggest to them? Again, it's not a lake. It's what? Niagara River. The water is moving somewhere. And the further they go downstream, what happens? The current gets stronger. Same water. It's just starting to have a greater degree of energy. Would I be caring? Would I be loving? Would I be affirming? Would I be supportive if I didn't help the person understand there's a difference between a lake and Niagara River? If I knew that this young person didn't know that if you remain on this river, you're going to have a very brief experience that may not be anticipated. You think that young person should know, be afforded that information. The vast majority of kids that get sucked into the trans movement do not know that it's a moving sidewalk. Why don't they know that? Because certain people are withholding that information. Who would withhold that information? Those that have a vested interest in seeing that young person helped onto that moving sidewalk because they know where that heads. Is that loving? Where does that moving sidewalk head? And then I'll finish by talking about the sexual uh, predators. That moving sidewalk in the trans movement, as the child enters onto that, they're going to start to socially transition. Prior to that, they start to change vocabulary. They're given certain definitions one of which is that counters Biology 101. We all used to understand what Biology 101 
was that used to be a phrase. It's a kind of self-evident. What's self-evident? Uh, XX and XY chromosome, male and female. But you notice we don't use that term anymore. Why? Because it runs counter to the narrative. What narrative? Trans women. Because those that are manipulators, users, abusers, uh, predators, cult leaders, again, since they have no conscience, they have to begin little by little to work on somebody's, the, the intended target of opportunity. They have to work on their intuition. Conscience is designed, and we focused on conscience there for a moment. Conscience is designed to keep me on my side of your property line, of valuing you. What happens if I get to a point where I've so violated my conscience by crossing your boundaries that it doesn't bother me anymore, meaning I don't have a conscience? Then what is there left to prevent me from using you to the maximum capacity? Not me. I'm not stopping myself anymore. It has to be you. And what's the mechanism within you that's going to stop me from using you? So the issue of intuition is really what is in play when it comes to a manipulator, a user, co-leader. That's what they have to target in their intended target of opportunity. The, the intuition, our intuition is our primary means of reality testing when I have just shy of enough evidence in front of my face. But a smart manipulator, user, abuser, they're never going to allow me to have enough evidence in front of my face, because then it's really easy. Until it's so extreme, sorry. Until it's so extreme that I'm willing to drink the Kool-Aid. But by that time, it doesn't matter how much evidence. Matter of fact, that phrase came from Jonestown in Guyana, where Jim Jones moved an entire group of people. He was a religious leader, supposedly. He used them until he was going to get busted by some Congress people, the word was getting out. So he had everybody kill themselves. There were women and children. If you look up the story, they killed everybody through having them all drink Kool-Aid with cyanide in it. And I've heard a recording of one of the nurses that were close to Jim Jones, kind of like the sex cult Nixium, with Keith Raniere and Allison Mack. So you had this female nurse announcing over a loudspeaker to disregard the cries of their children because this was in their best interest. The mothers completely had their intuition overridden. Without intuition, you have no ability to know that you know that you know that something ain't right. So manipulator, cult leader, selfish person will work on your intuition to get you to a point where you don't trust yourself anymore, where you rely upon somebody else. The manipulator, cult leader, whatever term we want to use, person without a conscience, they know they the primary means they will uh, use, or the, the phrase, in one way or another, to cause you to doubt yourself, to cause you to question your intuition. If you've ever been in a domestic violence situation, same thing. It's the same process. The manipulator will say this. Well, 
I know what it looks like, but it's really not that. I mean, they're going to tell you to distrust yourself. I know, I know what it looks like, but don't worry. Meaning what? Believe the manipulator. I mean, they're going to tell you what it looks like. So, for instance, I know that it looks like a double mastectomy that we've sliced off, or we're going to slice off your healthy breasts if you're a 17-year-old or 18-year-old, and anybody that's had their breasts sliced off at age 18, I've never once heard of one of those young people that the process didn't start by age 17 or 16 or 15 or 14. That was years in the making. And you notice right on their birthday or the, a few days right after that, they have, what do they call it? Medically, what's it called? It's called a double mastectomy. Why don't we use that precise medical term since the kid's going under the knife? Oh, because that's a little inconvenient, because then we know, wait a second, why are you taking this healthy young person, this healthy teenager, and you're giving her a double mastectomy? Why would you do that? doesn't have cancer. Well, you're not giving her a double mastectomy. You're just performing top surgery. Oh. And now, a young person will do what? actually hunger to have top surgery. So the manipulator has captured the young person's ability to think, to really be able to discern what's going on, because the surgeon seems so what? So sincere. And so that child gets onto the moving sidewalk of the trans movement, begins to move through the stages of having their intuition changed through language. We're going to redefine terms. We're going to begin to really fix what's considered technically, clinically, a delusional state. When you tell someone that they're born in the wrong body, what does that mean? Well, what you've done is you've sold them on a myth. It used to be that psychology was all about helping someone accept themselves. The trans movement does what? Suggests they eradicate themselves. They even use dead name. So they'll only be okay to the extent that they eradicate the old. That has to do with their core person. A lot of these kids are sexually abused. A lot of these kids are on the autism spectrum. Sexual abuse survivors and kids on the autism spectrum have one thing in common. They both have a hard time with their intuition, so they're easily targeted by manipulators. It gets on this moving sidewalk. You intellectually, emotionally transition them, tell them that their gender is fluid, they're non-binary. What does that mean? No longer male or female. No longer biology 101. So you're going to create myths. Emperor has no clothes. And so then eventually the child may start to socially transition. Now they're going to start to dress as the opposite sex. If they socially transition, very shortly within that span of time, they're going to do what? What's the next step? This is a moving sidewalk. It's not static. Parents, by the way, if your children are starting to use the term non-binary and they are referencing pronouns, they're already being groomed intellectually and emotionally.
the cult already has them. And the cult doesn't play nice for anybody that wants to take their child away from them. I want, I want to camp on that for a moment. Think about what, what a cult does. Really what any kind of manipulator does. Have you ever heard of a situation where, let's say your daughter starts to date the wrong kind of guy, and you start to have concern. You start to see, you know what, she's changing. She's, she's not our little girl anymore, and I can see this guy, he doesn't intend the best. So we start, we sit her down, we start to talk to her, and what does she do? Very common. Well, Dad, you don't understand. And no, no, he's a really nice guy. I know what it looks like. Okay. We can tell. I mean, she's the one having to travel to his place all the time. He's not putting forth any time, effort, energy, and resources. He's not coming and introducing himself to you. So you can see, wait, this is a very one-sided relationship. And then you're concerned that he's interested in only doing this for what? Well, if she's wealthy, then he may want her money. What do you think this sweet-talking guy is interested in? So we're trying to now help this young person, our daughter, think through, honey, you know, he may seem great, and I know he's still living in his parents' basement. No, I'm kidding. For those of you, that was a joke, right? But we can see that, wait a second, this guy, this, this guy's a sleazy kid. This guy's a user. He's starting to use my daughter. But my daughter is 16 or 17 or you know, she's not quite an adult yet. She still is under my roof. I'm concerned, so I'm going to try to talk to her. But if she's become emotionally sucked in with this guy, how's that conversation going to go? I know I am put in a position that I'm having to fight what? Now, fight, use that loosely, right? I know she's getting sucked into this guy. This guy's working her. He's emotionally taking my daughter away from me. So that eventually, he can use and abuse her in whatever fashion. He can take her for all she's worth, and then what? Yeah. Head off into the sunset to find another young lady to use. So somebody who's a manipulator can grab hold of the emotions and the mentality of a very susceptible, very agreeable individual, and what? Before you know it, they're in fantasy land. Oh, Daddy, I know what it looks like, but, you know, he's got big plans for himself, and he says when, when he strikes it rich or when he, when he graduates from college, well, honey, he hasn't even start, started college yet. Well, I know, but he's, right? And she's describing, she's telling you you don't understand. And we're saying, oh, wait, honey, trust me, we've seen this kind of guy before. No, Dad, but you don't understand he's different. Okay? A lot of parents know what that conversation is like. It's like, oh, my gosh. She is, she, she's in a fog, right? She's become old-fashioned term, bewitched. It's like, hello, honey, are you listening to me? What's it like to get through to someone like that when some perpetrator, manipulator, user has got hold of the emotions, they've emotionally pulled somebody in? It's really hard. What's that person doing? The, the user, the manipulator, the cult leader, they're drawing your child away from the safety of you who care more than anybody about your daughter. You're the safe harbor, safe haven. You have the best interest in mind of your kid, but the manipulator wants to do what? So the manipulator is starting to do what with your daughter's mind and emotions? He's starting to plant ideas into your daughter's mind. He's turning your daughter against you. 
At the very least, he's going to say, ah, oh, you know what? Your parents are a little old. We have to cut them some slack. They don't understand. They don't know what it's like these days. So he's changing reality in her mind to where before you know it, she'll move in with him. Or he's going to move clear across the country. And she's going to, right at the age of 18, she's going to do what? She's going to move away with him. And we try to say, honey, don't do it. But off she goes. Is it fair to say that young girl, okay, our daughter, has been mentally and emotionally manipulated by this gorilla, by this idiot, by this jerk, by this guy, sweet-talking guy that came along? Of course. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he? Because he's acting true to his own nature. He's a selfish little, you know, right? He's, he's taking my daughter for all she's worth. Why? Not for her benefit. You notice he didn't say, hey, why don't you stay here and go to school? You get your degree. No, he's saying, come away with me to the happy place. It'll be all beautiful and pixie dust, and we're going to ride off into the sunset. Meanwhile, where are they going to live? Meanwhile, I, she doesn't know, is he involved in human trafficking? They're going to start getting her involved in taking pictures of herself on OnlyFans. So just as one person can have sway over the emotions and mentality of a kid for their own interests, could there be on a larger scale, could we also have, say, professionals? Now, that's a trickier thing because we think, wait a second, professionals would never act unethically. Think through what, <laughs> have you ever known an unethical professional? How about somebody that was milking the system, double billing, somebody that was padding the bank account, somebody that was embezzling, somebody that was sexually abusing? See, we like to think, because that's part of social contract, that people intend the best and they mean the best. We have to actually operate on that or we would all be too jaded. We wouldn't be able to have any sort of contract. So we have to at least assume, so we have codes of ethics, that when you go to the doctor, we're assuming that the doctor is going to show us our own x-ray. But it's kind of a step of faith, isn't it? They come in and say, oh, found some spots in your lungs. I'm hoping that those were my x-rays. Or how about we go to the dentist and say, oh, you need all this work. <laughs> and they show me x-rays. None of us question it. I would say, I want a second opinion. We, I don't know, Dennis is a little different. Why do we ask for a second opinion sometimes? Because it's like, I don't know if that's true, but then our records are sent, and ideally this is, those, that was objective truth. But we don't want to think that somebody in a professional capacity would act like a used car salesman. So we trust them. But could there ever be a medical professional that went into medicine because of the standard of living, because of what they could purchase, because of their income? And if they find out that if they happen to suggest an extra kind of surgery, nobody would. That's because we don't understand human nature. We think all the Nazis stopped when the Nazi era ended. Could there ever be such a thing as somebody that is evil, somebody that is selfish, that's in the medical profession, 
that would look at us straight in the eye and say, this is what's best for your child. And a simple surgery can make them $40,000 in a couple of hours. How about Dr. Gallagher that nobody knows where she is now? She was the most prolific, called herself Dr. Yeet, which apparently means to toss, Yeet the Teats. Well, legislation started to be changed, and in Miami, nobody knows what's happened to Dr. Gallagher. She and her yacht paid for by cash. Cash of what? Thousands of teen breasts. She was on TikTok talking about how cool and wonderful it is to have what? Top surgery. She wouldn't even tell the kids that it's double mastectomies. So when the heat started to come down, she probably fled the country with millions of dollars. Why didn't she stick around? If she's so ethical, why didn't she stand up and simply explain what she was doing? Because you can't explain allowing kids with healthy bodies to have their sex organs cut out. Because that doesn't help anybody. So the moving sidewalk of the trans movement is manipulation of the language, manip manipulation of the emotions, eventually social transitioning, and then sterilization. You put a kid on, cross, on puberty blockers, they will become sterilized. And then they will eventually, that sidewalk will eventually dump them out on a surgeon's gurney where they will have their breasts and uh, the breast chopped off, penis uh, chopped off, you know, uh, oophorectomy for a woman, a, be castrated for a boy and have a, a fake vagina drilled inside them. And you mean to tell me that helps a kid? What else happens within the trans movement along those lines? If you are overriding a child's intuition by crossing their boundaries, then they are an equal opportunity victim, as it were, for somebody else to come along and manipulate them. Who else might be very interested in overriding a young person's boundaries? A young person that can't discern when somebody intends to get the best of them. How about a sexual predator? So within the trans movement, should it surprise us when we have highly sexualized content that allows a child to assume that this is normal activity, who benefits from that? When, especially with a man. As a man progresses into psychopathy, he layers, if you layer that with sex and sexuality, he will become a sexual psychopath. Here are the stages. You first start with attraction, then lust. We all assume that it's lust, and that's where things end, but it doesn't. You progress downward, then your desire, the motivation changes into power and control. Now you're having an effect. The working definition of deviance is no longer about attraction, because with a normal person, the normal man, unless you know your partner is enjoying him or herself, um, that's why the mood matters. We hear the phrase, well, they ruined the mood. What happens? You can't get an erection. That's a normal man. I'm not saying it's justified to be in the lust. But for a man that's into deviance, it's no longer that which excites him is the body. 
or the physical appearance, it's now having a negative effect. That is what deviance is, that the thing that arouses a man, the thing that motivates them, that drives them, that they hunger and thirst, is having a lifelong negative impact. And eventually you go down here long enough, and the thing that they hunger after most is defiling and marring and scarring of innocence and the soul. And they will look for the greatest opportunities and the greatest pool of intended victims in the two places that they will go. The most sophisticated will go into churches, by the way. That's why my first site, churchprotect.org, is there to help churches and help people understand what a predator is like, what are the myths, what are the truths. The next greatest pool of wounded and vulnerable individuals, especially young people, are aware in the trans movement. A psychopath, the more psychopathic he becomes, if he's sophisticated, he looks more normal, he will gravitate into positions where they are mandated reporters. So there's an additional level of trust. They sign on the dotted line that yes, they've taken the training, yes, they will report any suspected abuse. So we as adults who are normal, we think what? Oh, they've taken the training, they report, they certainly, no, if you take the, you take the training and you're a mandated reporter, of course you're gonna report abuse because that's what ethical people do. Predators know us better than we know them and they first have to groom the adults. If they can get adults to reframe the softening of the target, so to speak, the grooming process, then the rest is easy. Half the fun for a psychopath is playing good people for fools. So what you have in the trans movement and the sexualization of kids in school is the greatest grooming opportunity and effort that has ever existed. Why? Because now good adults that are supposed to be protective have blinded themselves and reframed what is clear sexual grooming in terms of compassion, affirmation, acceptance, love is love. And meanwhile, I wonder why all these men that seem very fixated on, t on um, children's sex and sexuality, I just think they must be sensitive, right? That is an overview. I have some charts. But Tonya, if you want to, any questions at this point, uh, that's, a, a, that's about a nine-hour seminar crunched into <laughs> a very brief period of time. We can go through some charts if you would like. Yeah, John, I was sitting here, you know, taking notes. I've been at this since uh, 2017, trying to address this matter and bring public awareness. And when I look at uh, uh, the movement to exposing uh, this deviant sexuality and uh, this assault against our children, Although we've got a long way to go, I am so grateful to see the progress that we've made since uh, 2016 and 2017. I mean, you could barely get, you know, 20 parents to show up in an event uh, to discuss it for the very reasons that you're talking about. I call this military-style psychological warfare. Yes, psycho mm. psychopathy, right, in, in, in these individuals, but this is sort of very similar to the attack that we've been under related to COVID-19. But right. this attack, you know, is directed specifically at children 
And I agree where you were saying, I've always been saying, you know, they had to groom, you know, the parents first. And this has been an international uh, grooming network campaign. It's global, uh, getting people to use, you know, our, our goodness against us, as you mentioned, compassion, empathy, anything that they can do uh, to break down the societal norms, to normalize something and, and get control of our children. And I was doing a bit of research last night and I came across an article just so people can apply this uh, tangibly. And so within the article, there's a fella, it was coming out from Soji123 is in BC, it's gone into Alberta, but the articles I was reading right last night on the Soji website, which I've captured, is that they were so excited about this grassroots movement to implement Soji into some pilot projects in 2016, into all 60 by, you know, 2017. And this was, of course, celebratory grassroots movement. And so, of course, on Action for Canada's homepage, we call this a grassroots movement. And that we're going to work very hard to take back every levels of government. So if a minority can do it, so can we. But I'm just, yeah, so I'm just going to to read something from a fellow by the name of Steve Mulligan, who is the program manager uh, for... I'd have to scroll up for a minute, but it is all about Soji. It is all about pushing this propaganda into the schools. And it says, you know, the school administration to normalize queerness. But he says, uh, for the reasons that, uh, you know, he began his efforts to integrate Soji inclusive education at his school. He goes, I had a student in the class who stood out, Mulligan said. He was spending all his time with the girls and he was being teased for that. I felt that I needed to address that. I also thought that there's no reason that I shouldn't be talking to these kids about being gay. From that point, Mulligan worked with the school administration to normalize queerness and ensure that students could express themselves freely without being bullied. Now, as the Soji educator at the University of BC, he focuses on educating teacher candidates. Almost two-thirds of survey respondents who completed their BED bachelor education degrees reported not having been prepared at all in their degree programs to teach LGBTQ plus content, according to the Every Teacher Project, published by the Manitoba Teacher Society. These educators reported that there were some forms of LGBTQ plus content incorporated into very few courses, and over half of the respondents reported that none of their courses included LGBTQ content. And, and so, you know, this is pervasive throughout the whole country. And so their objective solely is to infiltrate every single course, every single classroom, 24-7 when your child is in that uh, petri dish of indoctrination, the education system, public or independent, private, this is what the objective has turned into. And just to close before, because I really do uh, want to see uh, your PowerPoint presentation as well, whatever your content is, is that, you know, with this objective in mind, you know, we're suggesting that people pull their kids out en masse because you don't know the mentality of your child, the makeup of that child. I have a twin brother. 
And uh, we're not identical, of course. <laughs> and it proves that that male and female in the womb, and it proves that, you know, that our personalities are different. We were brought up, I have an older sister, ethically and morally. But if we all three of us were in the school system right now, which one of us would have that more compassionate art uh, 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 mentality to be agreeable to this and to be susceptible to questioning our gender? And that's what they're doing, right? Is they're manipulating the natural construct of our children. And we don't know however good a parent has been. I've had parents who were wonderful, beautiful people who decided, well, we can be light in the public school system. That is a risky business right now because as long as you as a parent may be very firm in your understanding, but these are high level manipulators and they have a very good route and system in, in the school system. And just to close, the other research I was doing that I'll report on next week are the SOGI leads. Teachers, school principals, uh, counselors, all of these individuals, like the gentleman that I just read, are infiltrated the school system. And they are ready to see whatever natural sign of a child that they can target and then start paying special attention and grooming uh, that young person. And it's terrifying to me to see this going on. And and so, John, you know, comment on that. And then if we could go back and then you show us your slides, that would be great. Sure. And again, I'll recommend people go to the site that I've put together now. We have a, quite a few a, quite a few interviews, episodes on there that deal with all sorts of aspects of what's now called the trans movement. That site is because we have to unmask this movement, unmask the trans movement. So it's unmaskingthetransmovement.com. Yeah, you'll see episodes right there. There's a lot of programs thus far from subject matter experts. And so take the time, listen to each of those episodes, because it will give you uh, really definitive information. Now, what I want parents to understand is this, that all a predator needs to succeed is for us to give them the benefit of the doubt and for us to believe that they would never do what they're doing. I'm not recommending that we become jaded. I'm not recommending that. But I am recommending that we be discerning and protective. It's a big difference. If you as a parent cannot discern the difference between a safe person and a predator, that's all predator needs. If you give a predator the benefit of the doubt, you've given him the greatest gift he can ever receive. And the most sophisticated of predators look normal. Matter of fact, they look really normal. That's why they're able to gain our trust. They use our morals, ethics, but they use our own conscience against us. And so that's that really is my primary message, that people need to understand that there really are predators out there. And what do predators look like? Predators do not walk around in trench coats. Predators walk around in three-piece suits. Benjamin Levin was the education minister of Ontario, a heinous pedophile. He was the primary person to implement SOGI, SOGI sex ed. Why? Because it allowed him to do nationwide or on a corporate level grooming of kids. And he's still so brazen. I just found out yesterday he's posting on Twitter. He's got his same face. 
This is a man that is as heinous as it, as you can get. I've worked with sex offenders for 14 years. He's an extremely deviant, he's a sexually violent predator, whether he's been given that designation or not. He's a very dangerous individual. Yet he's on Twitter again. Yeah, he, he so, should have spent life in prison. And yes, yet he, he got have. off. Uh, he got off, I believe, six months early. And just so yeah. the viewers understand, so John, just for for a moment here, is that the Win Sex Ed? I believe it was implemented in 2012. And when uh, Kathleen Wynne was the premier of Ontario, and she utilized her position to advance her agenda. She was married. I believe she had three children. All of a sudden, she went off on an excursion and and had a. a lesbian love affair. She ended up moving that individual into her home with her children and the husband lived in the basement because he was thinking it was the best thing for the kids. No doubt, I believe it was one of the sons became gay. This did a lot of damage within, you know, within their home. But then she had the ability, like, where is the standard, the ethical standard for leadership uh, when these individuals have authority over our children? So she communicated with Ben Levin, brought him onto the team, and then he advanced the Winsex Ed, which is the Soji 123, basically, but just by a different name. And the Soji and the Win are the comprehensive sexuality education that is being highly promoted by the UN now, the CSE. And they've said that every uh, member nation needs to implement this. And so that's why I say there is an international, global a grooming network, pedophilia network, I call the UN Pedophile Central, because there's so much deviant um, acts that are going on there. Um, and and just to make it very clear as well, is that as a nation, as with America and Canada, citizens need to understand that we have constitutions in Canada, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms as well. We have the coronation oath that signed that said that uh, Canada would be governed by biblical principles, uh, the Protestant standard. And so that uh, the Constitution also says that any laws or, or any policies that are in conflict with it are of no force or effect. So when we hear about all of this UN intervention and that they're demanding, uh, you know, control of our education systems, we need to vote for people that are willing to say absolutely not. And we as Canadians will not be complicit with anything that violates our constitutions. And uh, we have the power and the authority to do that. But we need to act as a unified body. That's right. And again, we're not anti any group of people. And again, uh factually and technically there's no such thing as trans there are just people yep. there's no trans kids there are kids who have become confused kids that are confused need help they do not need exploitation they do not need to have a delusion confirmed or affirmed that does not help anybody being reality based and dealing with internal pain is what helps the the issue of conversion therapy, let me reference it just for a moment. So again, people understand that it's really cult speak. Now it is a lot of the land in Canada, in Australia, it you know, may become here. When we hear the term conversion therapy, it seems like, well, yeah, I don't want a therapist converting my kid. Well, who wants a therapist converting your kid to anything? That's not a therapist's job. But again, manipulators, perpetrators, predators, cult leaders, they'll toy with language. That's why they'll never reference double mastectomies. They'll call it top surgery. The idea of 
a conversion therapy, how it is used, the word conversion is that the manipulator has drawn your child so that that snaky boyfriend that we talked about, right, has now lured your daughter into his clutches, so to speak. He's won her over and you're trying to get her back. He'll basically say, no, 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 it's us against the world, honey. I mean, this this 19-year-old guy has your 17-year-old daughter, and we try to persuade them, and we know we're fighting this dynamic. It's like he's got his arms metaphorically around her. He's pulled her in, and he's saying, she's mine. She's become part of him. If it's a movement, if it's a community, if it's a cult, they will hit the child against the parents. They'll draw the child away into the movement. Okay, And so they'll now grab hold of the child, so to speak, mentally, emotionally, they'll do a little pen. So they take your child, and they're drawing your child away, and now they are going to, it's called recruitment and retention. They have this child in their grip. Now, it's invisible, but it's a mental and emotional grip. You as the parents are over here saying, I've got to get my kid out of here. My kid's been sucked into Scientology, the Moonies, or Nixium. And Nixium's going to do a cauterizing brand on my daughter's groin with these weird initial with these weird symbols that happen to be Keith Raniere and Allison's, Allison Max initials. You can you read the book Scarred about that. Okay, so let's say I want to rescue my daughter from the Nixium cult. I, I go and I try to persuade her. And I tried to draw her out, but the cult will grab on tighter, and the grab will say, the cult will say, "Get away from me! Get away! Get away from our child! She's ours now. She's our community member, right?" And um, Catherine Oxenberger, her daughter India, got sucked into the cult, and she tried to persuade the daughter India, uh, you know, come back home, and the daughter it, it runs to the cult. So the cult then has to keep the parents at bay. So here are the parents. The parents are trying to get their daughter back. The cult will use this will use this phrase. This is our daughter now. She's our community member. She's part of our family. Don't you dare try to ready everybody needs to understand this. Don't you parents, don't you dare try to convert our child. If you try to get somebody out of the power or persuasion of someone that's manipulating them, the manipulator can now say, you are trying to convert that child. Everybody understand that? That's the term now. When you hear conversion therapy, meaning it's the manipulators that have said anybody that removes this child is practicing what? It used to be called debriefing. <laughs> okay, we're going to get the get. Okay. It's the law of the land now. They've captured that term. But I want people to understand when you hear the word conversion therapy, it means somebody that's using this kid doesn't want to let the kid go. And so don't you dare suggest or somehow persuade the kid to come out of the grips of that influence. They've unduly influenced this kid. Now, am I suggesting we practice conversion therapy? I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting now is this, that that young person who's being drawn into the grasp, the clutches, the influence of whoever it is, we have to talk to that young person and say, okay, you're heading into the grasp of that group. 
Do you know what they have in store for you? So that you can be fully informed. What I'm suggesting to a therapist is, or any mandated, but a therapist, let's say, is this. Though the term conversion therapy has now been codified into the law, and so they captured that language. And even prior to that, no therapist wants to sit there and convince somebody. That's not therapy, by the way. Therapy is helping someone have a complete core self, okay, so that they're not persuaded one way or the other. They can be fully persuaded within themselves. That's the goal of therapy, okay? But a therapist is required to do two things. Protect, discern, and protect is the person that's welcoming this. Do they have designs, especially as far as sexual abuse or exploitation? Are they abusing this kid? So I, as a mandated reporter, I need to be able to discern. So I need to ask follow-up questions. If the, if the girl comes in and says, I don't want to be a girl, I want to be a boy. If I'm a mandated reporter, I need to think this child, this young person may be being sexually abused. If all I do is say, oh, well, you know what? I'll write you a script for the, for the gender clinic. What have I done? That's malpractice. Okay? And if I don't ensure that this young person has been able to make an informed, been able to do informed consent, what does that mean? Has she truly understood the meaning and the implications of what she's signing on board for? Which means, has she seen pictures? Does she know it's a double mastectomy? If she doesn't, if I don't do that, am I really ensuring she has been able to make a fully informed decision? So right now, I'm encouraging therapists to make sure they do the job of a therapist still. We're not touching conversion therapy, but you'd better ensure safety for your mandated report, so you'd better ask additional questions or you're remiss. Because no child's going to walk right out and say, I'm being abused. And the other is, have you helped your client, however young, be able to ensure that they've been provided with the full and adequate, accurate information? Because if they say, oh, I'm going to go have top surgery, okay, do they know what that is? Have they ever seen a picture of that? Because maybe they just think, I don't know, you know, they think it's a fancy term. So that's that's part of our job now as far as the sexualization the sexualizing of kids the reason why it's so important for us to understand this is again think about a manipulator a cult leader predator right all in a continuum they're going to go after young person's intuition to dumb it down so they can't think for themselves they can't do reality testing there are two what i call there's a lot of different dark special interests that are feeding off the carcasses of these kids. Okay? You can really put them into uh, two camps, maybe three camps. At the very m- macro, it would be they're, they're looking for societal change. How do you change a country? You impact its youth culture, especially if the youth can vote. Okay? So you change the way people think. You change the educational system so that they can't think analytically or, or critically. Critical doesn't mean negative. It just means, can I put two and two together? Can I figure out what's in our best interest collectively as a culture? Uh, is taxation good or is it bad? Right? Is free speech good or is it bad? Is it 1984? Are we changing the language? So that's one group. George Soros. 
right? The Schwabs of the world are trying to move things in a one world government. How do you do that? You make it so the citizens can't think and you give them bread and circuses like Caesars used to. Okay, so that's one entity. And therefore, how do you change the way people think? You get in the educational system. Then coming down on a little more micro level, you have people that have vested interest in making sure these kids go along, go along with what? Moving sidewalk, get on and go along. Okay, because it's going to head somewhere. Going to head where? Onto a, onto a surgeon's gurney. Along the way, they're going to be a pharma consumer for life. The big pharma benefits. They're going to have to see a doctor for the rest of their life. They become a medical patient for the rest of their life. Who benefits from that? Uh, according to Jennifer Billick with the 11th Hour blog, this is now a multi-trillion dollar industry worldwide. That's big money. Now we understand, well... So you mean people that actually have vested interest would act unethically? Okay, so you have financial predators. If I'm an unethical surgeon, people are just a means to an end. When you walk on a car lot, if I don't have any ethics, I don't see you. I see you as a dollar sign. Therefore, I'm going to already size you up and I'm going to work you. I'm going to upsell you into this vehicle and make you feel good about it. So you give me a five-star rating. Meanwhile, I took you to the cleaners. And we're both happy about it. People need to understand, right? It happens all the time. That's why people get nervous going on a car lot. Okay? That person has financially objectified you, but you like it. <laughs> okay? If they pulled out a gun and took your wallet, we'd call the police on them. But why is it that we have such a good experience, customer service, you know, customer satisfaction survey, we give them a five. We know they took us the cleaner and they get to go to the Bahamas on behalf of us. Okay? But that's the way the world works. But it's still, they, they took money from us. Okay, they financially objectified us. But we want to believe that hospitals, we want to believe that big pharma, we want to believe that surgeons would never do that because those are our body parts. They would never prescribe unnecessary surgeries, would they? For $40,000 in a couple hours in a new yacht? Seriously? So yes, there are surgeons out there that will slice the breasts off of your daughters without batting an eye. We need to understand that. They'll chop the penis off of your kid and drill a hole in them where they'll have to dilate, keep an open wound open three times a day for the rest of his life. Make him dependent upon pharmaceuticals for the rest of his life. Why? Big business. We don't want it. And that's all a predator needs, so a financial predator. Along the way, then, you have the influence of pornography that is cross, that is shaping a kid's perspective of him or herself and relationships and what they can expect so that along the way a kid is being perped on. So the two special interests that really benefit from the trans movement are sexual predators and financial predators. Sexual predators will always, always, inevitably always use pornography. Why? Because you have to dumb the kid down. Oh, this is what people do. This is how you express love. So the more I can convince a young person to believe that it's normal to do anal, or it's normal for a, a boy to choke a girl in sex, we used to call that sexual assault, where that would be at least two to five, five to ten years, that guy would be in, in sex offender treatment. What I want parents to understand is this. If any of the men, I've got about 45 men in my sex offender treatment groups right now. 
if any of the men were found in possession of the books that are used in schools, that are in school libraries, elementary school libraries right now, within the SOGI sex ed curriculum or recommended reading list, if any of the sex, if any of the men on my sex offender treatment list, my groups, were found in possession of any of those books, they'd be violated out of sex offender treatment and sent back to prison. Because well, these are the kind of books that are used to groom children. John, John, with that in mind, I, I want to discuss a few things that you've just uh, said. Uh, I, I want to talk about the RCMP's recent decision to uh, determine that the books that I had brought to their attention were not pornographic. But just so our viewers understand, uh, conversion ther ther therapy is something that took place you know, decades ago, it was not present in Canada. It was usually somebody, you know, who was struggling with same sex, sex attraction, uh, going to therapy, some types of uh, systems of like giving them a rebirth, uh, castrating them, institutionalizing them, uh, electrode, uh, electric shock treatments. And, and so what they decided to years ago was that that was uh, not effective, not beneficial. And so when the government started to get on this bandwagon about con banning conversion therapy, it was all part of this implemental plan in, in order to come after our children and, and to try to normalize pet pedophilia and all of this uh, uh, sexual deviancy. And so Justin Trudeau, one of the first things he did when he came into office was to uh, determine that anal sex uh, Change legislation from the age of 18 to 16. They started, uh, you know, trying to advance uh, Bill 16 to allow biological men into women's and children's private spaces by amending the Human Rights Code to include gender identity and gender expression. They changed those uh, provincial codes and amended the Human Rights Codes at the provincial levels to include this. And and the UN also removed transgenderism from their list of mental health issues. So it's been very incremental. And uh, so banning the ban on conversion therapy means that now that they've radicalized, now that they've indoctrinated your children in the public school system and manipulated them, when they come home at a 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever years old, and say, mommy, I'm no longer a girl, I'm a boy, if you don't support them and take them to a gender dysphoria clinic, if the counselors don't recommend, recommend gender dysphoria clinics, then a parent in Canada can... Uh, go to prison for up to five years. I believe a counselor, it's three years. So this is very serious business. But when we go back to Section 52.1 of the Constitution, which says it's the supreme law of Canada, it clearly says that anything's in that's in violation with the Constitution, the Charter of Rights, which means our biblical principles, it's of no force or effect. And, and so even though they've legislated it, it clearly says in Section 52.1 that if legislation, if law has been created, that is in violation, right? This is a violation of parental rights. It's um, also in violation of the criminal code. It is against the law to mutilate anyone, but especially children. They've changed it to amend it to say... Um, unless it's something that will improve like the aesthetic or the look. I can't remember the description right now, but it still boils down to that, uh, um, what do you call the consent, right? The, the, uh, That's the informed consent. That's informed right. consent, right. So the amendment to the Human Rights Code that they've made to include gender expression and gender identity, this is an ideology. It is not factual like race, color, 
religion. Those are parts of the uh, Human Rights Code giving protected rights, which is even not even needed because we're all equal under the law and the charter. But just say, so what's next? Right. Is the ideology going to be that we're going to amend the Human Rights Code again to include pedophilia, to include protected rights for furries, to are we going to protect aliens? What where is the limit on this? So as citizens, knowledge is power and we really need to get busy and understand that we're not going to be in tacit agreement with something that the government is unlawfully uh, um, implementing. This is a full on criminal attack against our children. And so with that before, because I do want to get to your slides. So you're talking about, you know, these these individuals who are predators at the stages they are. How can on mass so many school boards have we just so far been infiltrated with trans LGBTQ activists on school boards? Or is there something else, some sort of other mental psychological assault going on that that these foolish, reckless school board trustees would say that these books that you're suggesting, not suggesting, but that you're stating very emphatically that if your uh, individuals that you uh, give uh, counsel to we're caught with these books, it would be in violation, you know, of their of their parole. So what do you have to say about what's going on with our school boards? And you know, I think we have a really a continuum of people that have ended up on school boards. We have mm-hmm. well-meaning individuals. And what I would say to those is, uh, Mr. and Mrs. School Board, please understand that this material is not neutral. This this will shape the, this is grooming. You need to understand that this is not healthy. Nobody benefits from this material. The only person that benefits are financial and sexual predators. You're impacting kids. This is very dangerous material. Um, To those that, well, you know what? Okay, we need to support. Well, we need to support trans kids. You've begun to drink the Kool-Aid. You need to understand that the idea of trans is a myth. These are gender-confused kids, and they need help focusing on First of all, what they're there for, which is school. And secondly, you are leaving them susceptible to those that are going to manipulate them. Okay? Allow kids to be kids. Don't unduly influence them. And kids will be okay. If a kid has a mental health issue, then deal with the mental health issue. right? But if, if a young person prior to puberty is talking about things related to sex and sexuality and bisexuality, I can tell you this, they're being groomed. Why? Uh, because no child prior to the age of puberty will have a sexual thought. So if a child starts referencing things about his sex and sexuality, that's coming from the outside in. That is called grooming. So mm-hmm. you are there as a mandated reporter to protect your kids from somebody unduly influencing and grooming them. So to that um, uh, to that kind of board member, I would say you need to understand that you're not helping your your. The young people under your care, you're actually making it easier for those that have designs to manipulate these kids. Well, and this is what we're doing, right? We've got the notice of liability against the Soji, against the books, against gay straight alliances and against the drag queens, uh, because this is what uh, they're willfully having, uh, you know, invite have invited in, and implemented into the schools en masse. Um, Action for Canada uh, w- across the nation. Uh, this this campaign of ours is having a huge effect. It's causing the other side to have to go on to the de- defensive and implement, uh, I'm sure they're sitting around a table, 
you know, discussing strategies. And it's not only Action for Canada, people are seeing this and, and they're showing up. I rate at school boards and we need thousands of people at these school board meetings because uh, in Mission BC, uh, they they recently banned us and we we are going to be addressing this. We're going to expose what happened in Mission BC. We've got the recording of what transpired when we gave our presentation and brought the books up. Uh, of course, they did not want us showing these books. They said in the news that we were um, displaying disturbing and graphic content. But it's and good enough it's, to show to the kids. Right. That's exactly what I said, uh, you know, in the video that we'll, we'll be providing in Chilliwack. You know, you're aware of Karen Bonder, Willow Reichold. I've done a, I've done a the, video on her. Right. Yes, yes I've I seen have. it. We'll be, we'll be doing yeah. a little more work on that as well to expose this. And yet we've only, you know, got a handful of trustees on the board who are sane. And, and so I think that. You know, and then there's concern about elections. We're telling very good people, look, we're trying to get you well educated. So in the next elections, you'll run for office. And this grassroots movement is going to replace these sexual predators who are on these boards. So in Chilliwack, I had uh, made a call to the RCMP. I gave them, they wanted to list of books. I said, let's start with 10. I provided them, I'll give you a few. It's perfectly normal, gender queer, new home, identical. I mean, uh, these are very graphic books. Uh, Chilliwack mm -hmm. has seven copies of identical in the Chilli Chilliwack High School. One was out when we took the screenshot. This is about a father, uh, graphic detail, raping his daughter and also uh, committing, you know, incest, obviously. And, and yet uh, the RC CMP came back to me. So I made the, the, uh, I filed the complaint on Friday. I got a file number. And then by Wednesday, I, I was away on business uh, speaking in Kelowna. And then by Wednesday, the officers calling me and that their serious crimes division had determined that these books are not pornographic. And by five o'clock, we're on the five o'clock news. And I said to him, this is highly, this has been highly politicized. I says, this is not an, uh, a decision that's been made in the best interests of our children. So we still are going to be work doing work there, uh, but le legal actions will be pursuing because we're not going to sit back and take this. So what's your opinion about the decision that the um, RCMP have made determining that I had used the terms when I filed my complaint that there was concerns over the books being pornographic, sexually explicit and graphic. And, mm -hmm. and so they chose to focus on only pornographic and come back with a decision to say it wasn't. Right. What I'd say is simply this, and to the head of the RCMP, I would say, first of all, you got to be kidding me. Secondly, you have sex offenders under your, that you arrest that are uh, in the prison system right now. And when a sex offender comes out, what do you look for? What do you watch? Okay. What are you concerned about if he has something in his possession? You cannot tell me, as the uh, head of the RCMP, that if a man has one of these books, that you wouldn't be concerned. What I say is this. I know in the U.S., what, there's, a, there's a criminal statute. It's called, uh, or a crime called corruption of minors. There has to be the equivalent in Canada, whatever that's called. If somebody's reading these books, this is not the corruption of minors. Uh, I'll go one step further. Let's say I, as a therapist, <clears throat> excuse me, as, the, uh, as a therapist, have in my office, now this is going to be, uh, this is mild compared to what's in some of these books. Tanya, can I screen share? 
Yes. Okay, let me yes, set the stage. Yes. Let me set the stage. I I'm a teacher. I'm a therapist. I'm a mandated reporter. And you have a young person. Let's say grade seven, a seventh grader, middle schooler, junior high. All of a sudden, pulls out a piece of paper, kind of folded in half, <clears throat> and they said, "Oh, I had fun last weekend or this past weekend." Really? What do you? So let's say in my office, I have this pulls out. Uh, I, I had friend with uh, I had fun with Uncle Jim. There's no no offense if somebody's named Jim out there. <clears throat> I said, "Oh, what what'd you do?" And so I can see this kid now is pulled out. He wants to show me this. Now, again, as a therapist, I'm supposed to be conceptual. Either this kid is just wanting to show me this, or he's wanting to show this to me because he doesn't know how else to bring something up. So he brings this little picture out. I can't quite see it yet. It's folded up, crumpled up. It was in his pocket. And I said, oh, what, what's that? Well, this is what we did uh, this past weekend. I said, oh, you and Uncle Jim, yeah. Uh, what is it? Oh, well, we do it all the time. Oh, you do what's in that picture that I can't see? Oh, okay. Um, and what it, well, we do it funny. He said, it's our little secret. It's just us. Oh, can I see it? And so what the young person shows me is <clears throat> this. And oh. the question is, is there a concern? Because that's Uncle Jim. And I say, that's your uncle. Well, he's not, really not uh, my uncle. He's just a friend of the family. Oh, what was happening? Where were you guys? Well, uh, he babysits us. Well, he babysits you. What do you do? Well, we dress up for these. Oh, okay. I can see he really dresses up. Yeah, but he, he helps me. We have private time. He does. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me ask you. A, is there any concern, Mr. RCMP? B, what do we call this? C, does this, lie, does this rise to the level of a mandated report? Yet this is, isn't even yeah. in what's in those books. So yeah. for those of you in the public, I would simply ask this. Let's pretend, let's pretend these were not artists. Let's pretend one of these men, these are men, by the way, are actually a sexual predator. Would they pose any differently? Would they take off any more clothes than they have? Oh, I'm sorry, these men don't have clothes on. Mm. Is this not the working definition of corruption of minors? Mm -hmm. And you're photographing these kids. So I just simply ask you, Mr. RCMP, if that's what's mild, doesn't talk about what these men have done, if that doesn't rise to the level of concern, what does? See, yeah, this thing has been flipped on its head. Yet, when I show that on Twitter, right, there's all sorts of concern. But, but what, what, what do we do? Because um, Deputy RCMP Commissioner is the head of E-Division over British Columbia. And I met with him, first met him in June of 20, 2019, when the uh, Pride group were trying to put the Pride flag up at the local detachment. And he was Assistant Commissioner at the time. We did a huge campaign, letter-writing campaign. And um, at the day of the event, uh, we had great success because he did not uh, raise that flag up the actual flagpole, but he draped it sort of in, 
to the entrance of the police station. And when I talked with him in private, he said this was the most difficult decision I had to make because uh, Commissioner Lucky at the head of the uh, Canadian RCMP law enforcement, she is supposed to be complete, completely non-political. Politics stops there. But she has instructed the RCMP to not only this say that they had to build a bridge, all of this sympathy and empathy, we've got to build a bridge with the LGBTQ about what happened 40 or 50 years ago, right? Never mind the advancements have made everything, nothing to see anymore here. But you know what? We're going to use that like conversion therapy to ma- to manipulate the minds of uh, citizens, law enforcement, etc. So she says, you have to comply with this. You have to build a bridge with the LGBTQ and then tells them they have to uh, celebrate a month of Ramadan and then tries to tell them that he can't celebrate Christmas. So he happens to be a Christian. And so in August of 2019, I met with him. We had a very good conversation And so I didn't really have any interaction with him until COVID. Then I sat down and I gave him files of what was going on with our health officer and the prime minister and the WHO put it, laid it all out there and uh, had consistent uh, communication with him. And of course, uh, they did nothing. And so now I'm trying to open up communication the same day that I corresponded with the uh, Chilliwack RCMP. I sent a message to the uh, contacts that I had within Commissioner McDonald's in, in, in the corporate office and headquarters. So the main RCMP that was second in command has been relocated up to none of it. And the gal that I usually talk to, who was awesome, just a wonderful person, I really believe uh, that she understood the seriousness of what we're going. And so now this investigator contacts me and says, oh, what's the reason that you want to meet with, uh, you know, the commissioner? And I said, uh, uh, you know, over these issues, I'll send you an email. So we had a conversation. I said, it's not just regarding the books. I've got impact statements from uh, individuals, parents, a mom whose daughter committed suicide over this, uh, another gal who's had her breast cut off, another boy in Mission, BC, where we've been removed. Same day I met with the school superintendent, there was a news article where a mom is suing them because her nine-year-old boy was sexually assaulted by five other classmates. And then I did further research and ends up that these classmates had also sexualized, they had a history, you know, of doing this. And so I've made several attempts to saying, hey, you know, I'm waiting for you to get back to me. I, I, you know, want this appointment. And it's cricket. So the, you know, we're in, in British Columbia, high, all the way up the food chain here, as far as elected officials are, are concerned, they're all in on this. There's 100% no doubt they're doubling down in response to what Action for Canada is saying, and they're doubling down in support of the LGBTQ and supporting the amendment to the Human Rights Code. And thank you so much to the ARC Foundation who brought this uh, wonderful anti-bullying LGBTQ SOGI123 resource into the schools. So we've got a war on our hands and it's going to get very serious. I want everybody that's listening to this because I know the other side are always listening to me. We're not going to stop until you sexual predators take your hands off our kids and remove yourself fully and 100% from the school system. We have no other choice. You've given us no other choice. You've brought this on. Yeah, sorry, that was my bit of a rant. (laughs) No, but prior to 2005, this whole thing, this trans movement didn't exist. Right. People need to understand this. In 2013, anybody can go and look at the rates of referrals 
to um, gender clinics. And you'll see it's virtually flatlined, a little bit of a bump in 2009. That's when RuPaul Drag Race started. And it kind of dies back down. But 2013, just do a simple internet search. I'll show you an example in a second here. You will find it skyrockets. This is not a trend. This is a tidal wave. You know how a tidal wave or a tsunami it sucks all the water out, so there's very little water on the beach, and all of a sudden, this huge crest of a wave. And you'll see in 2013, world over, 2013, everything suddenly skyrockets. Yep. And the reason being, as a matter of fact, I will, I'll, as we're talking, I'll bring one of those up. The reason being, and the only change worldwide is you have the... Um, you have the publishing of the DSM-5, which allowed the profit motive, which allowed billing to take place. I'm looking for it now. Prior to 2013, there we go. Um, prior to 2013, it was not billable for teenagers. Okay? And therefore, there was not a motive in there. I, I will bring this up, and then we'll look at a couple of additional. I should have had this one. Okay, let me share the screen just so you can see. Yes, absolutely. Parents to understand. We're going to go with this one, right? There first. Okay, there. Folks, this is facts. This is the reality. You're going to see this wherever you go around the world when you look at rates of referrals. Okay, this was out of New Zealand, but you'll see it wherever you go. Okay, 2013 is the crucial time to look for. 2009, you had RuPaul Drag Race into its 14th season or something. Bunch of men wearing women's underwear, strutting around in drag. But you notice now they're targeting, they're marketing to kids. There was an entire shift in the drag culture. I don't care what adults do with adults. Stay away from kids. And legitimate Amen. men that do drag say the same thing. Kitty Demure and others have said, listen, uh, do not be around kids. And parents, don't take your kids to drag stuff. Okay, so this is not about what, this is not about lifestyles. This is not about what adults do. This is about child protection. And protecting from exploitation, because if you dress a kid up in drag, or if he cannot discern that a man that's dressing in drag that wants to be around kids, he wants to be around kids for a reason. And no man thinks it's a reasonable proposition to dress in, under, in women's underwear and drag without having saturated himself in thousands of hours of pornography. The issue is deviance, but porn and the Internet fast tracks that process. 100% uh, of sex offenders, one 100%. You will not find an exception ever since the 1980s, but you will not find an exception that a man who perpetrates a sex offense against an adult or a child was heavily involved in progressive pornography for years prior to offending 100%. 100% of child offenders, 100%, are deeply steeped in child pornography prior to offending, and they're always busted with uh, child porn, but the dirty little secret is those men started with adult uh, photographs. Yeah, you will also find bestiality among uh, pictures of bestiality among those men that have offended kids. That's one of the dirty little secrets as well. So you have the pornification, as it were. You have the the increase in access to porn and porn being pushed and influenced on kids during this time. But then what happens in 2013? Time and time again, you, I've got 10 different slides all around the world, different countries, that show the rates of referrals. Look at what happens in 2013. You have the influence right there in 2009, 2010 of RuPaul. Of course, they're going to be an influence. That's the social 
contagion. But what caused this? This is not a trend. This is not a fad, uh, right? This is what's called a J curve. This is a tidal wave. What caused that? In 2013, that book right there, the purple one, the DSM-5, permitted billing. It's the financial motive. You remove the DSM-5 back to the, the red book, the DSM-4, nothing was wrong with that. What I say is this, for uh, Dr. Zucker and Dr. Blanchard come back out now that you know that you unleashed this, opened up a Pandora's box and unleashed a Frankenstein's monster, have the professional integrity to say, you know what, we didn't need to make the change in the particular area of uh, sex and sexuality or uh, sexual disorders. We're just going to take, allow the DSM-5 to be what it's going to be, but take that entire section of sexual disorders and put it back just replace it with what's in the DSM-4. Okay, so you can do two simple things, and the, and the entire trans movement blows up and drives away. Back to the numbers we saw in 2005. Look at those numbers. We've got right there. It's just after the DSM-4. Zero. Okay, mm -hmm. how do you get the numbers back to zero? You get the profit motive out of that, so replace the diagnosis that's in the DSM-5 with the DSM-4. Profit motive goes away, and then you remove the influence of porn and those that are using it to shape the minds of kids. That's all the deviant soji sex ed stuff that's in school. And the numbers go back to 2005. Right. Well, it's shocking, you take shocking the profit information. And the predation out of this whole thing. And this entire industry goes away. But they're not about to permit that because the dirty little secret behind this, and you referenced it as well, is this is the back door into the normalization, legitimization, destigmatization, eventually the legalization of pedophilia. Right. That's who the most aggressive pushers are. And that's why if you touch the issue of furries, you'll see all hell break loose towards you. What are furries? These are big mascot-like costumes with developmentally stuck adults who are playing dress-up, that if you utter these simple words, they'll go nuclear on social media. How about this? Given the level of sexual deviance within the furry fandom, furries is not safe for minors. That's reasonable. They'll go nuclear. Why? They want their hands on kids. Why? Because how much of an adult's identity is concealed if a man has a big Disneyland mascot sports costume Mascot, how much of an adult's identity is, is covered up? Exactly why I learned from a heinous pedophile, that was the first person I learned about furries, is he said, Mr. Euler, he said, adults are pretty protective of kids, but you dress up and they'll hand their kids to you. Yeah, you know, John, this is, yeah, this, this is just absolutely, as, as you said, it's a nine-day, uh, you know, could yeah, be a nine-day well, presentation. You'll have to have and me I, back. We'll do, we'll do some of the slides later. <laughs> well, you know what I was actually going to say is um, I'm going, uh, I, there's some things that I have to do uh, this weekend being away at a, another speaking engagement. Right. But next week, because of that, I have to uh, complete actions in advance. I was going to actually ask, are you free next uh, week that we would do a part two? Consider sure, possibly, 
doing a part two because I want to see you the presentation that you have as well. And uh, we talked about having some solutions. I want to get more into as well uh, school board trustees, like what's going on in Chilliwack. Okay. We know that's going, you know, around the world. We have school board trustees like the individuals, uh, the, um, the monitoring of it. What was the phrase again? The uh, reporting. Uh, oh, mandatory reporting. Right. The mandatory reporting, how somebody like you talked about Karen Bonder. I've seen the video uh, that you've done. This is a very hypersexualized um, individual who how would she, you know, getting to the bottom of how would she be able to determine what is uh, sexual abuse towards our children or what's crossing the line when you view the type of videos and contents that she creates and and you know how 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 do we infiltrate our boards again and to bring some sanity uh you know back to humanity there you go so all right well you and i then we'll have we'll have a chat We'll, we're going, so to our viewers, uh, to all our good people that are going to be watching this, we're going to do a part two with John. And I love it, John. I know I've seen a lot of your interviews and there's a lot of conversation going on, you know, uh, with your host, but I just wanted to give you the platform today to speak because you have unfolded, uh, the psychopath, the mind of the predator into a tangible way that we could actually see the reality of it being trusted people within our lives or or people who we've been led to believe that, you know, we should just naturally have this respect for and this trust for. And so for this uh, part one, I think that will be the focus. And uh, in part two, we're going to say, what do we do about this? How, how do we take uh, further steps and address it to protect our children? Is that, is, does that sound good for you? That's just fine. Yep. There was just too much to pack in. <laughs> it's one. a lot, but it's a lot that's yeah. going on, isn't it? This is really an assault right. against our families and against kids and against all of society. So thank you so yeah. much for coming on the show. And I look forward to having you back. Thank you for having me. Wow. <laughs> right. That was two hours of a lot of information, but I super um, appreciate the way that John unfolded the mind of the psychopath and the predator and gave us a better understanding of uh, who these individuals are. And I look forward, John has confirmed he will be coming on the show next week, and we're going to uh, really work towards keeping this within uh, 60 minutes to 90 minutes on the next show. And uh, so that will be uh, the Empower Hour for next week. But again, because of John's schedule with clients in the evening on Wednesday nights, we will be doing a pre-record. So I know a couple of you had a few questions. What happens when we do a pre-record, because we can't uh, do the Q&A at the end, we try as a team to um, implement some of the questions and in the content to try to answer those in the best way that we can as we present. So if there were a couple of questions, I will again try to um, implement them into next week's meeting. Okay, so with that, like I say, John will be back next week. I'm excited about that. And then Terenzio, can we please bring up that Bible verse? Whew, I want to leave this on a on a good note. <laughs> all right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and you when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I just find those words of such encouragement because, you know, as a believer, knowing the word of God, knowing that I can go into scripture and be encouraged. And then it really, it talks about our children in raising them in the way that they should go so that in the future, they will not depart from it. So it's very important. The Bible is filled with ethical and moral standards because God loves us and he wants his best for us. So I'm just going to leave you that with, with that note. Thank you to everybody who hung in there with us. Like I say, it was a two-hour program, but so worth it in my in my opinion. That'll be available tomorrow on the Empower Hour page. So I hope that you'll get a copy of that, uh, the link, and share it. All right. God bless you, and God bless Canada, and God bless our children. Yeah. <laughs>